Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Pastor Alan. We're so glad that you're here with us this morning. Um, we started a new series last week. That means we take a topic and talk about it for several weeks. It's called Who Needs God? If you want to catch up on that, it would be helpful to kind of know where we're going. Uh, you can either listen to the audio on our website or on Facebook. The this, this service is being uh, uh, recorded. So, um, who needs God? We talked about last week, there are a lot of things about Christianity that even us people that would call ourselves Jesus lovers would find uh, unsettling um, questions we might have. And there's a lot of people, and we talked about, well, if you move away from that, what you move, to, move toward is atheism. So we explained best we could what atheism is, and most of us would find that really unsettling too. So bottom line is a lot of us, a lot of folks are stuck in the middle. You can't buy all that Christianity stuff, and they can't buy all that, buy into all that atheism stuff, so they're just kind of stuck in the middle. But there's a sense of despair when you think, well, there, there's nothing more than science, there's just, we're just biology, there's no, you know, there's no soul, there's no personal thing. That's kind of a, a, a sense of despair, but it just, some things about Christianity and church that just, just turn us off, and these folks, growing number, about 24% of, pop, of the United States have a label called nuns, and some of you fit in that category of nuns. You, you can't buy the Christianity, all the Christianity things, you can't buy the atheism thing. And so, uh, at one time, you may have had faith, but at this point, you may have lost your faith. This is not unusual. This has been going on all through history. Once upon a time, the most advanced civilization in the world worshipped the sun god. Alright? And I don't know if I probably are, but I don't know of anybody right now today that, that still worships the sun god. And so that god went by the wayside. And we'll fast forward to, to, to the Greeks. The Greeks worshiped Zeus, and they had their pantheon of gods. And I don't know, but maybe there are a few people, but there aren't many people that are still worshiping Zeus. And so those, those gods have gone by the wayside. Then the Romans came along with, with Jupiter and Mars and the age of Aquarius, right? Those of are old as I am. And... Uh, it's just not very many people worshiping uh, Jupiter or Mars anymore. They just, just aren't. Those gods have kind of passed by the wayside. So uh, we looked at some of, the, some of what they call the new atheists, what they teach, and we're going to quote some of them this morning. And um, here's an interesting thing that Richard Dawkins said. We are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. I'm an atheist about Zeus, Jupiter, Mars, sun god. I am, probably most of you are. All right, He says, but some of us, the, the new atheists, just go one godfather and they reject the Christian God. All right? The implication is that someday, you know, that'll be pretty much extinct. Now, for me, it's been going on for 2,000 years, so I think we've got a pretty good track record, but it's, it's possible that, that and they, have gone, they have gone that way. Um, it's interesting, Paul, uh, he was a... <laughs> He was an atheist according, according to Christianity, and then he became a Jesus follower, and he started churches. And Anyway, he was in, talking to the, to the Greeks, and he said, oh, they had all these statues to their gods, and they had this one statue to the unknown god. And I thought, he thought that was interesting, because he said, these aren't real gods, but the unknown god I want to tell you about, because he's the real god. So for most of us that have relatives, or maybe even we fit in that category, it's just kind of sad that we're kind of stuck in the middle and uh, we can't buy the Christianity thing because 
I think the reason you can't buy the Christianity thing is because, as we're going to talk about today, you worship an, uh, the wrong God, a God that doesn't exist. And we talked about deconversion experiences last week. A lot of these, these nuns had a religious experience earlier on in their lives, and now, again, they've rejected Christianity. So I'll give you two models or examples of how that ha- happens to, to a lot of people. They grew up in a re- religious environment, whether they went to church or not, but, you know, but believed in the God and talked about God. They experienced some kind of childhood conversion. So somewhere in their childhood, they made a commitment to this religion or their God, this Christian God. And then as usually in adulthood or late teen years, transition to an irreligious environment, whether it's, you know, the friends you work, hang out with or in college, in a college crowd. And you found out you liked it a lot. So then what happened? Well, you began asking adult questions about childhood faith. This is really important. Adult questions about childhood faith, some things you believe as a child, and we're going to look at those uh, this morning, and you just couldn't, couldn't uh, what's the word I want? You couldn't make it make sense anyway. And so you receive faith-based answers to these fact-based questions. So you had real questions, and sometimes a church or the or a Christian would tell you that you should, you know, don't ask the questions. Well, it's all, I think it's always good to ask questions. And that's how we learn stuff. And you would ask for a faith-based, a fact-based question and expecting to get a fact-based answer, and all you got was you just need to believe. And so one day it dawns on you that you just don't believe it anymore. If you can't give me facts, you know, I, I live in a fact-based world, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to take that side. Another Example of this, or, or a potential example of this, that's, ha- that's happened to a bunch of people. It's kind of the same start. Grew up in a religious uh, environment, experienced a childhood conversion, but here's where it changes. Somewhere along the line, you've experienced a faith-crushing event. Something happened in your life. Somebody died, or your parents got divorced, or you got divorced, or, or uh, somebody got sick, and uh, <clears throat> it just crushed your faith. You said, if there's a good God, this wouldn't be happening. So, consequently, I can't, I can't believe anymore. So you began again asking those adult uh, questions and you got, of a childhood faith, you got faith-based answers to your fact-based questions. So one day it just dawns on you, I, 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 I'd like to, but I just can't believe anymore. Now, belief's kind of a strange thing. Either you believe or you don't, right? And I can't just sit here and say, oh, I believe, no, I don't believe. I, and you, you, it just doesn't happen that way. It's strange. And what happens is for a lot of these nuns and some of you here, you can't reconcile your experience or what you were taught as a child with life. They don't fit together. Now, it's true that all of us, we grew up with a version of Christianity. None of us grew up in the same church. Uh, I guess my kids grew up in the same church I did, but uh, as a whole, none of us grew up in the same church, different denominations, different uh, belief systems. It might have been very legalistic and conservative. It might have been Pentecostal. It might have been Catholic. It might have been mainstream. Uh, <clears throat> so we all have these different versions of Christianity. Um, none of it, it's not the same for any of us. So these deconversion experiences kind of fit into two categories. And, and it's sad because, again, I don't believe that's true Christianity. So here are the two categories. A somebody told me so, God, and that's what we're going to look at today. All right? Somebody told me, probably a teacher when I was you know, a, a child in, in school and in church, they taught me something, and 
So I believed it because they told me and they were my teacher. Next week, and this is going to be a little disturbing for some of you, but next week we're going to talk about the Bible tells me so Jesus. We don't have time to talk about both today. So we'll talk about the somebody told me so God. Now I'm going to give you a long quote here from Karen Armstrong. She's kind of a neat lady uh, because she's a double nun. (laughs) She was actually a Catholic nun who became a nun not believing in the whole Christianity thing. So here's what she said. Many of us have left, we're left stranded with an incoherent concept of God. So just couldn't figure it out, couldn't understand it. We learned about God, what a God is about, the same time as we were told about Santa Claus as a child, right? But while our understanding of Santa Claus phenomenon evolved and matured, our theology remained somewhat impotile, kind of based on that same child experience. So not surprisingly, if that's your, your situation, that's your what you've experienced, when we attained intellectual maturity, we grew up, many of us rejected the God we had inherited and denied that he existed because it was just incoherent. It was childlike. And this is true of all of us in some respect, right? I don't believe all this. I didn't go to church as a a child, but, uh, you know, there's things I I, I don't believe now that I've grown older and more mature that that I may have believed earlier on. So we're titled today's teaching this. Gods of the New Testament. Y'all heard of the New Testament and the Old Testament? Well, this is the New Testament because these are gods that don't exist. And we're just going to give them titles or names and we're going to go through them and, and probably at least one or two of these will hit us all, okay? So number one, our growing up gods is the bodyguard god. I, didn't, I don't know a better name to call it than that. This is the concept of that God's going to protect me, and God's not going to let anything bad happen to me. Uh, we hear it a lot, this concept of pain and suffering. How do you deal with a, 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 the Christian God in pain and suffering? In fact, I think three weeks from now, we're going to take a whole, whole t- day and just talk about this topic because it's so big because you hear it so much, and it may be one of your responses. How could a good God let bad things happen to good people? Now, here's an interesting Statement of that argument, I don't think anybody else would agree with. A good God would not allow bad things to happen to good people. And since bad things don't happen to good people, there must be a good God. Would anybody want to make that argument? No, it doesn't make any sense. But what the argument is made, if God is good and allows bad things to happen to good people, since bad things do happen to good people, then there must not be a good God. But it's a false argument. It kind of makes sense, but it doesn't make sense. In fact, if you think about the history of the church, it would never have gotten out of the first century, right? <clears throat> because the early Christians suffered from persecution, not only from the Romans, but from the temple, from the Jews. So did they have a good life? Most of those writers of the New Te- Testament, they have good lives. <laughs> they didn't have good lives. <clears throat> In fact, Christianity started with maybe the best person that ever lived having a horrible, at least, end to his life, right? That's the basis of Christianity. Now, all through these, these uh, gods of our childhood, I tried to come up with most of what we believe comes out of the Bible, so I, I Googled the topic. So I Googled in Bible verses that tell me that bad things won't happen to good people. Go ahead and try it when you get home, or any of these others. It's fascinating, because nothing would come up. It was just the opposite. So the best one I could come up with is this one, all right? If you're a 
somebody teaching children, you're going to teach them this concept. I have these plans I have for you. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future, give you a hope, you know. So God is good, so he's going to be good to you, all right? That's a child of faith. It's wrong, God. It does not exist. And if you left Christianity because bad, something bad happened to you, that's not the teaching of Christianity. Uh, next God, our growing up God is this, on-demand God, all right? This is where and we're taught to pray, we ask God for stuff, and we're thinking, okay, this is an unselfish request. Somebody needs a job, I pray for a job. Somebody's sick, I pray for them. Uh, my son needs a date, I pray that he gets a date. You know, unselfish, it's not affecting me, it's affecting other people. Another way to look at it is this. This is what I would do if I could. If I could get them a job, I would. If I could help them get, if I could get my son a date, you know, I would do that. That's reasonable. Uh, the concept, the idea is if I ask for it, God's going to give it to me. Now, there are some Bible verses that kind of fall into that category. <clears throat> but I try to think of an example. It would be kind of like if you were at an entry-level job and this big company has a CEO would you or could you or what would happen if you went to the CEO and told him what you wanted? Even if it was like, hey, I want you to give up my, my buddy down here a raise and a promotion. Is the CEO going to do that? No, he's not going to do that. Probably a better example is this. Parents, do you give your kids everything they ask for? I hope you don't. <laughs> In fact, those of us who have been Christians or Jesus followers for a long time, if God had given us everything we had asked for, what would our lives be like right now? They'd be a mess, wouldn't they? I'd be married to some girl I had a infatuation with in high school. I wouldn't be married to my wife. I wouldn't have my kids. I mean, we'd be living somewhere else, doing something else. Our lives would be a mess. So a, a, a loving parent knows what's best for the child and doesn't give them everything they ask for. But there's a Bible verse that says this. Pray for anything, and if you believe that, you'll receive it. It'll be yours. So I just believe, God, I'm asking for this, and I really believe it, so I'm expecting you to give it to me. That God does not exist. That's the wrong God. That's a childhood God. Third, third example, growing up God's boyfriend God or girlfriend God. And this is the idea that you always are going to feel God's presence. And we think about like a camp experience uh, Rick Warren calls it a quiver in your liver. You know, you just get this emotion out. Christianity is, a, is emotional, and, and I appreciate that. And the worship team is singing and, you know, raising your hands, and, you know, it's just get all this emotion and good feelings and so forth. Problem is, do you have that all the time? You know, when you got a girlfriend or a boyfriend, you just, you know, that's what they, you think about all the time, right? <clears throat> And some of you are sitting here saying, oh, yeah, I don't feel anything. When I see these people raising their hands, I'm thinking, what, what's going on in here? All right. So, um, what, what, where would that come from? Well, again, we're thinking about teachers teaching our kids, and it's important. We're going to talk about why to teach childhood faith to child, children. Uh, Bible verses this comes out of uh, Hebrews. God has said, I will never fail you, I'll never abandon you, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, uh, God cares about you, he's never going to abandon you. We can teach our children that, that's right, right? But are you always going to feel like God is there? See, the interesting thing is the things that are most consistent in your life, you don't even think about. I don't know what the temperature is like in here, but if you're comfortable in here, you're not thinking, oh, the temperature's comfortable in here. You're not, are you? 
I, you know, I don't always like feel, I, I, I'm married, I really feel married. Been married for 41 years. I don't always feel married. Interesting thing, Mother Teresa, one of the greatest Christians of the 20th century, she said she went long periods of time and she was serving the, the prostitutes and the poor people in, in, in uh, India and Calcutta. And she's, long periods of time, she broke this down. She didn't feel the presence of God. Now, it's great when you feel the presence of God, but just because you don't feel the presence of God doesn't mean God has abandoned you. That God does not exist. It's a wrong God. Now, this next one's a biggie, With, especially if you have some kind of church background. It's the guilt God. It's the guilt and fear God. It's the God that's anything good is, is bad. Anything that you enjoy is bad. Um, if you're doing something you shouldn't do, you should be afraid because God's going to get you. Somebody mentioned the first service, if you're not doing what you think God wants you to do, God's going to be mad at you. You know, I didn't pray today, I didn't read my Bible today, I didn't go to church last week, whatever it might be. Uh, this is the guilt God. And depending, again, on your whatever religious background you got, this can be real, huge, huge. It's hard to escape if you come from this background. It just is. So, I did find kind of something that would support this. Now, to be completely open and honest, if you read this whole passage, it's just the opposite. But if you read this the first part, this is something David wrote in the psalm, it sounds like the guilt God. In fact, he uses the word. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. Guilt can haunt you, right? Against you and you only have I sinned. I've done what is evil in your sight. You'll be proven right what you say and your judgment against me is just. You feel like God's against you, right? He's kind of just going to try and get you. I was born a sinner, yes, and from the moment my mother conceived me. But if you Google this, <laughs> well, all, all the passages in the end of this passage are going to talk about how God is so gracious to us and God is so forgiving for us. But again, it's so easy in some church traditions to teach, you know, just God, God's out to get you. God doesn't like you. God, you know, God's mad because you're screwing up and messing up. Now, those of you who maybe have been in that background and have gotten out of it, isn't your life much better without the guilt God that he sets you free? The guilt God doesn't exist. It's the wrong God. <clears throat> now, this next one really bugs me, drives me crazy. Because I was a, loved science in school. Uh, and, and people like me and people like our, ch our churches like ours need to take the blame for this. Uh, it's the anti-science God. Okay? I can believe in science, I can believe in God, but I can't believe in, in both. And if I want to believe in God, I've got to ignore, the, ignore, ignore science. I've got to ignore the facts. And again, I, again, it's hard to find some, some reason we would say this. All I could come up with is in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right? <clears throat> the anti-science God. Again, one of our atheist friends uh, wrote this. I thought this was interesting. One of the truly bad effects of religion, of course they think there's lots of bad effects, is that it teaches us that it's a virtue to be satisfied with not understanding. Now, if you grew up in a church background and you get the idea that Christianity is about <laughs> not understanding, that's, that's a wrong God. That's, that's not a true God. In fact, what is the goal of science? The goal of science is to discover the truth, right? What should be, is or should be the goal of Christianity? You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're seeking the same thing, God and science. So God or science is just a, a false alternative. 
They don't need to be opposites. And let me just kind of prove it to you. Use an illustration. <clears throat> Those of you who are parents, your child gets sick. So where do you take your child when your child gets sick? Take them to the doctor? Yeah, okay. Doctor runs some tests. He says, I'll give you the results tomorrow. You can't wait. You're sitting by the phone waiting for the results because you want to make your child well. So the person on the other line says, okay, I think the test proved that you just need to spend more time in church. Is that the answer you were expecting from the doctor's office? In fact, you're not going to accept that answer, are you? When it comes to your sick child, what are you all about? You're all about science, right? I say, what did the test say? What is the cure? What is the solution? What do I need to do? So if there appears to be a contradiction or a problem between science fact, not science theory, but science fact and your theology, where's the problem? With your and my theology. The way I look at science is this. When science discovers something, that's neat. That's how God did it. Right? But the anti-science God doesn't exist. We'll talk about this a little bit more in a couple of minutes. Uh, this is the last one. Our growing up gods is the gap God. And this is the one that we just kind of get. God fills in the gaps of stuff we don't understand. Uh, put that next statement up there. God conveniently shows up as an explanation for everything we can't explain. All right? Can't explain it. God's the explanation. Now, a lot of problems with the, with the gap God. Now, sometimes we say it's a God thing, and I believe in the God thing. Sometimes, you know, somebody needs a job or whatever, and we pray and they get a job. I think it's a God thing. God answered the prayer. But to just say, I can't explain it, so it's a God thing, that undermines faith. I'll give you an example. There's lots of diseases that science is finding cures for. They haven't found cures for all of them. Are you hoping that one of these diseases they never find the cure for? Breast cancer? Any kind of cancer? Are we hoping that they don't find the cure? Anybody? No, of course not. In fact, some of us grew up in the, uh, or around in the 80s and stuff when AIDS came out. You know, part of the explanation of the church was this is, you know, this is a curse on certain types of people. No, 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 no. Again, it's hard to find some rationale why, why we might believe this, but this best one I came up with, this is out of Isaiah. <clears throat> Just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, which is true, but we don't just say, okay, God's un unexplainable, so I just, you know, disbelieve. A couple of statements here. Unexplainable today may be explainable tomorrow. So we can't explain something today, and we say, well, that's God, and then, Tomorrow, some scientist discovers it's something else. That's a problem. So, obviously, unexplainable is not evidence for the existence of God. It's the evidence of what? Of our ignorance, right? That's all. Sam Harris said this. We must pay attention to the frontiers of our ignorance because the frontiers of our ignorance is where new things are discovered and found, right? Stuff we don't know, eventually we discover and know. So even if everything was explained and explainable, it would not explain away God. Let me give you this illustration. It wouldn't make us gods. We've got any mechanics in here. Anybody knows how to just take a car apart and put it back together? Anyway, I, had, I, was, at, <laughs> I was at a garage this week. They were changing my own. I was just amazed at you know, the stuff they were doing. They actually let me in. The <clears throat> Some of you know Dwight. He lets me watch while he does the work. But anyway, 
I don't know anything about cars. But a mechanic, a good mechanic, knows all about cars, right? He knows you know, how the com- internal combustion engine works and different where, what parts of the engine and so forth. The fact that the mechanic understands everything about the car, does it explain the fact, away the fact that the car was, somebody created the car? Somebody made the car? Does it do away with that fact? No, just because you, you understand it, in fact, it makes it even more uh, amazing, right? Wow, somebody invented this complicated thing we call cars these days, engines to a car. In the Genesis account of creation after the six days, whether you believe in six days or six million years, whatever you believe, what does the Bible say God did after, on the seventh day? He rested. Basically, he said he stopped creating, right? Let me ask you a kind of a profound question. If God stopped creating, what kind of universe would we expect? I'll answer it for you. A predictable, stable, explainable universe where the laws of physics, our physics professor just walked in, uh, our laws of physics were the same 100 years ago and will be the same 100 years from now, right? You know, the laws of physics don't change. God didn't say, okay, you know, gravity is not going to be a law of physics anymore. He sees creation. Those laws continue to exist. In fact, this anti-science thing again, the modern science movement was birthed out of the church. You used to believe all kinds of crazy things. Um, Galileo was a believer. He was thrown out of the church because he discovered the fact that the earth is not the center of the universe and that the earth revolves around the sun. And the anti-science church threw him out even though he was right. Nobody believes that today. All the early scientists, or almost all of them, were believers. There doesn't need to be a contradiction. So the gods of the New Testament, the bodyguard God, that nothing bad's going to happen to you, doesn't exist. The on-demand God that you just ask, even if it's unselfish, that God's going to give it to you. The fact that you're always going to feel God's presence, that God doesn't exist. Or you have to feel guilty all the time because of what you didn't do or what you did do. That God doesn't exist. And the anti-science God doesn't exist. God created science. And the gap God that he just fills in the unexplainable doesn't exist. In fact, these aren't arguments for the existence of God. These are just unmet expectations, actually from childhood. Give you one more illustration, I'll be done. Where did your view of God you struggle to believe in originate? We all have a version of God we grew up with or got connected with. Where did your version, your view, originate? And most likely, if you're struggling with it, it's because it was in childhood. Last illustration. Where do babies come from? Just hang in there a minute. (laughs) The answer is it depends on who's asking, right? If your four-year-old asks, what do you tell them? Oh, it's growing in mommy's belly or the stork. I don't know. You tell them some story where the baby came from, right? You get into high school biology, they tell you another thing where babies come from. And if you go to med school or nursing school, you're going to teach you another version of where babies come from, right? So it depends on who is asking. So to teach children childhood faith 
that's understandable. That's what I hope they're doing back there. But when we become an adult, we need an adult faith. So if you walked away from a childhood faith, if you walked away from the gods of the New Testament, that's fine because those gods don't exist. If you walked away from a somebody told me so God. Next week, please be here. <laughs> Even though it's going to be disturbing some of you. We're going to talk about the Bible told me so Jesus. All right? Let me pray with you. We'll have a song and let you go. Father God, thank you so much that these gods that we may have bought into or learned somewhere along the line don't exist. That's not you. You're so much bigger and better than that. And we'll get to that in a couple of weeks. But God, in a group this size, I know there, there's probably a bunch of us with problems with different ones of these, these, these false gods. God, help us to, 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 to understand Wait, that's not really what God's like. I just kind of picked that up or learned that or somebody told me it along the way. I don't need to reject Christianity because of that. That's not real Christianity. Uh, and God just continued to, to, to help us to be seekers and not to be content with being stuck in the middle. It's hard to be, hard to be there. Let's seek to find the truth, find the answer. I'm going to pray for anyone today that's here that might... Say, hey, yeah, yeah, I want to step across that line. I, I want to I believe. I want to start following uh, uh, the true God. Uh, if you're taking that step, please, please let us know, and we'd love to come alongside and, and help you. Uh, God, we don't know what this week's going to hold. Uh, we thank you that those of us who are Jesus followers, that we have assurance as we go on this week, even if we don't feel your presence, and even if bad things happen to us, we know that you're still our loving Father. In Jesus' name, amen.